Thank you for coming to worship with us today. I thought that video is a great summary of this, this series that we've been in on the Holy Spirit. And uh, by the way, that's put out by a couple of guys that have a website called The Bible Project. It is a great website. They have a whole bunch of other videos like that that talk about different themes throughout the Bible, different books of the Bible. They're working on uh, sort of doing a summary of each book of the Bible and putting it into a video like that. So it is a great resource. It's great for kids too. Uh, just a, another connection point as, uh, as you are studying God's Word and learning about who He is. Um, so I had the, 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 when I come here to Lakeview Church, I became part of um, an, the Madison Area Pastors Network, which is a network of senior pastors of evangelical free churches in Dane County. And so uh, a few times a year, we meet with uh, some of the other senior pastors in the area, and we pray for each other, talk, talk to each other, just encourage each other in the faith. And at one of these Madison Area Pastors Network meetings, um, I had the, the privilege of meeting an older retired pastor who used to work with Billy Graham back in the 70s, and he served with Billy Graham on the Crusades. And so, um, you know, you, you just sort of want to know, what was Billy Graham like? And so we were talking, and, and he was saying, there was a spiritual power that just hovered all around Billy Graham. No matter if he was standing on stage preaching the gospel to thousands of people, whether he was sitting down to eat dinner with his family, whether he was doing training with his staff, no matter what he was doing, he said, when Billy Graham would walk into the room, you could just feel the Holy Spirit's power just rolling out of him everywhere that he went. And we know, we can see the, the, the power of the Spirit at work through Billy Graham's ministry. I mean, think of the millions of people that he was able to share the gospel with and the hundreds of thousands of people that came to faith in Christ through his ministry. That can only be attributed to the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through him. It's not because he was a fantastic preacher, although he was, it was because the Holy Spirit was empowering his ministry. I think Billy Graham is a great example of somebody whose life was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Billy Graham was a spirit-filled man. And I wonder if you have ever known somebody like that. Somebody whose life is so obviously full of the Holy Spirit that, that when they come into the room, you can just feel the Holy Spirit like oozing out of their pores, right? You, you, just, you, you just have this presence of God on them and around them all the time. Have you ever known anybody like that? Uh, their life is clearly filled with the Spirit. The question is, why do some Christians seem to live daily in the power of the Holy Spirit, and yet many other Christians don't? Why do some Christians seem to be filled with the Spirit, but other Christians aren't? And, and for that matter, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does that mean? And, and, and how is being filled with the Spirit different than being saved? Is it different than being saved? Are those different things? Uh, do you feel like you, as a believer in Christ, do you feel like you are filled with the Spirit of God? Do you feel like you live a Spirit-filled life? Is that a, is that a term you would use to describe 
your life and your walk with Christ. Have you ever wondered how you can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit every day? Has that question ever come to your mind? We're continuing this series on the Holy Spirit this morning. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He tells us to be filled with the Spirit. And this is a command. It's not an elective. It's not something that we can choose to take or leave. It's a command that Paul writes to all Christians at all times and all places to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so if we're going to do that, we need to understand what it means. And if you'll grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, grab your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at what it means to be filled with the Spirit by asking three questions. First one is, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Second one is, why are some Christians not filled with the Spirit? And third, how can we be filled with the Spirit? So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Why do some Christians not have that filling of the Spirit in their lives? And how can we be filled with the Spirit of God? Ephesians chapter 5, we will pick it up in verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. He says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So let's jump right in. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? When Paul writes that in verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit, what is he talking about? What does it mean? The first thing that I want to point out is this. Being filled with the Spirit does not mean that, that you have more of the Spirit than you did before. Now, that's a, that's a really common misunderstanding because you think of, uh, you know, if I need to be filled with something, that must mean that I don't have enough of it, right? If your glass is half empty, you fill it with more. And then you have more. So we tend to read this and think when Paul says to be filled with the Spirit, he means I need to get more of the Spirit in my life. And that's not exactly, that's not exactly what he means. Because we know that when we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. He comes to dwell in us. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. In that verse, it's referring to when we are saved, we are baptized by the spirit into the body of Christ and we are given the Holy Spirit. 
So when you're saved, you get the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. When you get the Holy Spirit, you get all of the Holy Spirit. It's not like part of the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and the, and the other part doesn't. Remember, the first week of the series, we learned that the Holy Spirit is God. And as God, he is omnipresent, which means that he is everywhere at one time. All of him is everywhere at the same time. When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, all of the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. It's not about getting more of God. We already have God in us. Being filled with the Spirit then, what it means is giving more of ourselves over to the Holy Spirit so that he can fill more of our lives. We already have all of the Holy Spirit. But how much of ourselves are we going to give over to the Holy Spirit and allow him to fill? I've heard many pastors say this, and I'm not sure where it originated from, but I love this quote. It's not about how much of the Holy Spirit you have, but it's about how much of you the Holy Spirit has. We're talking about being filled with the Spirit. It's not like I need more of God in in me. It's, It's God needs more of me. I need to give more of myself to God so that he can fill that part of my life and that he can fill that part of my life. It's not about how much of the Holy Spirit you have, but it's about how much of you the Holy Spirit has. That's part of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Here's another observation I want to make. Being filled with the Spirit is not the same thing as being saved. Right? So Paul is writing this letter to Christians living in the city of Ephesus. These are Christians. They have already received the Holy Spirit. So if he is writing to people who are saved, who have already received the Holy Spirit, and he's telling them to be filled with the Spirit, why would he be writing that to people who are already filled with the Spirit? Right? Being filled with the Spirit is not the same thing as being saved. When we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. But being filled with the Spirit is something different. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense. Paul's not writing in this passage, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Give your heart to Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. That's not what he's talking about. These people have already done that. He's saying, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. It's not exactly the same thing as being saved. The Spirit's filling happens after we are saved. One of my favorite uh, theologians, Andreas Kostenberger, says it this way, the Spirit, of course, already indwells believers. He already indwells believers. That happens when we are saved. What God desires is for the Christian community and for individual believers to show the Spirit's presence in ever-increasing fullness. To be filled with the Spirit means that as we follow Christ, we are showing more and more and more the evidence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. It's not the same thing as being saved. It is something different. Third observation, being filled with the Spirit is an ongoing process. It's not just a one-time event, right? It's not just something that happens one time in the life of a believer. It is an ongoing, daily 
process. In verse 18, when Paul write, writes, be filled with the Spirit, what he actually, uh, the, the way that he wrote that in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, it means continuously be filled with the Spirit. Or another tr- way to translate that is keep on being filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, but keep on being filled with the Spirit. It is a process. It's not something that happens one time in your life, but it's something that we pursue every day to live lives that are filled with the Holy Spirit. A fourth observation about being filled with the Spirit. It is both a corporate and an individual experience. Being filled with the Spirit is something that we experience together, and it's something that we each, one of us, personally experience. Look at verse 19. Paul says, to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Speaking to one another. That's what we're doing this morning. We came and we sang songs filled with the Spirit of God, inspired by the Spirit of God. We sang together. We worshiped together. It is a corporate experience. And that's why it is so important for Christians to gather together and worship God together. Because when we come together and we sing and we pray and we read Scripture and we worship, when we do that, we can experience the filling of the Holy Spirit together as the family of God. He inhabits our praises and he fills us together. It's a corporate experience. It's also something that we experience individually. He he goes on in verse 19 to say, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. It's not just something that happens on Sunday morning when the church gathers, but it's something that happens all the time in each one of us as we worship God, as we give our hearts over to Christ every day. It's my heart worshiping God's heart and my spirit to God's spirit, right? It's something that we experience together and it's something that we experience personally, individually. It's both corporate and individual. Number five, being filled with the spirit isn't always accompanied by miraculous signs like speaking in tongues and prophecy. But sometimes it is. This is, a, this is also a common misconception in the church today. We think that if somebody is filled with the Spirit, that means they have spoken in tongues or they have healed somebody or they have prophesied or there's been some kind of miraculous sign that accompanies that filling of the Spirit. And, and that's just not exactly what the Bible teaches about being filled with the Spirit, right? We, we must not confuse the signs of the Spirit with the presence of the Spirit, you, you can't just assume that because somebody is prophesying or because somebody is speaking in tongues, therefore the Holy Spirit is in them. And you can't just assume that because those things are not happening that somebody doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Don't confuse the signs of the Spirit with the presence of the Spirit. If you look in Ephesians 5, 19, 20, and 21, Paul says, this is, what, this is what happens when we're filled with the Spirit. We speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. We sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord. We give thanks to God the Father for everything. And we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's describing heartfelt worship, an attitude of thankfulness, and Christ-honoring relationships. 
as the, the result of being filled with the Spirit. Now, those are things that we don't typically think of as miraculous signs. But they are evidence of being filled with the Spirit. So, so it doesn't always come with miraculous signs, but sometimes it does. We saw last week in Acts chapter 2 that the, the disciples were filled with the Spirit and spoke in other tongues, languages that they hadn't learned. The Spirit performed a miraculous sign in them. One of my favorite stories from uh, the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 13. Paul is going on a missionary journey, and, he, and he's preaching the gospel, and he encounters a Jewish sorcerer named Elimas. And, and Elimas begins to prophesy against Christ. And so he's a Jewish sorcerer, and he's a false prophet. And Paul, and it says specifically, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, he turns to Elimas and he says, you're going to be blind. You're spiritually blinded to the Messiah. You're going to be physically blind. And suddenly, Elimas is struck blind, right? Because Paul was filled with the Spirit. And in that instance, being filled with the Spirit was accompanied by a miraculous sign. So it doesn't always come with miracles, but sometimes it does. Being filled with the Spirit of God. So working all these observations into some sort of definition from Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul says, what is it uh, to be filled with the Spirit of God? What does he mean when he says that? Simply this, to be filled with the Spirit of God is to be under the influence of the Spirit. And you might think, wow, that seems really simple. Yes, it does, and it is, right? This isn't complicated. This is pretty simple. To be filled with the Spirit of God means to be under the influence of the Spirit. Paul gives us a great illustration when he compares and contrasts being filled with the Spirit of God to being drunk with wine. What happens when you're drunk with wine? You are under the influence of the alcohol. It changes you negatively, right? It impairs your judgment. It changes the way you think. It changes the decisions you make. It affects how you talk and how you walk and how you live and what you do, right? It it ultimately leads to sin. That's why the Bible says don't be drunk with wine because it puts you under the influence of alcohol, which leads to sin, But when you are filled with the Spirit of God, you are under the influence of the Spirit. He changes you for the better. He changes the way you think. He changes the way you feel. He he doesn't impair your judgment. He enhances your judgment by giving you the mind of Christ. He He doesn't cause you to make decisions that lead to sin. The Holy Spirit leads you to make decisions that lead to righteousness right? Being drunk with wine is foolishness, but being filled with the Spirit and under the influence of the Spirit is wisdom, and it shows God's will for your life. Being filled with the Spirit simply means to be under the influence of the Spirit. It's that simple. It's not always easy, but it's not complicated. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Second question this morning is, why are some Christians not filled with the Spirit? I think we all know that sometimes 
We, we are not always filled with the Spirit. There have been times in my life when I have not been filled with the Spirit. I have not been living a Spirit-filled life. And we probably know Christians who's, who have genuine faith in Christ, but they are not living daily in the power of the Spirit. They don't have that filling of the Spirit. Why not? I think there are, I want to highlight this morning two really big reasons why we are not filled with the Spirit. The first is this, we grieve the Spirit of God. Our sin grieves the Spirit. If you get in your Bible all the way back to Isaiah chapter 63, verse 8, He, God, said, Surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. And so he became their Savior. In all their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're not filled with the Spirit of God because we have a rebellious heart and we grieve the Spirit of God. Have you ever said this to your kids, or maybe when you were young, heard your parents say this to you, after everything I've done for you, this is how you behave? Anybody ever said that to your kids? Okay, good. So I'm not the only one. (laughs) Right? As parents, you work so hard for your kids, and you make so many sacrifices for them, and you do everything in your power to give them the best life that you can possibly give them, and then they sass. They sass their mama, and that is not happening in our house, right? Then they get, they get smart alecky. They, they talk back. They whine. It's whatever. Like, this is what happens. And you just want to say, you know what? If you knew how hard I work and how much I busted my butt for you every day of your life and how many times I saved your life from the time you were one until the time you were five, like six times a day I'm saving your life, kid, <laughs> after everything I've done for you, this is how you behave. Right? But, but put that in, in our relationship with God, right? God calls us his people, his special possession. We are children of God who have been adopted into God's family. He has become our savior. When we are distressed and our hearts are hurting, God is distressed with us and his heart is hurting for us. He saves us and his love and mercy, he redeemed us by sending his son to die on the cross in our place for our sin. When we are in the darkest moments of life, he picks us up and he carries us through. And yet, after all of that, after everything that he does for us, sometimes our hearts are rebellious and we sass and we ignore and we turn around and we go do our own thing and we grieve the Spirit of God. Stephanie read that verse about how the Spirit of God is like a river of life flowing in us. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, it's damming up that river. 
And we can't expect to be filled with the Spirit of God if we have a rebellious attitude, a rebellious heart that grieves the Holy Spirit. Another reason why Christians are sometimes not filled with the Spirit is because we quench the Spirit. We grieve the Spirit and we quench the Spirit. If you'll turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 16, Paul writes this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Sometimes we quench the Holy Spirit of God. What does that mean, to quench the Spirit of God? Well, uh, the, the picture that is here is extinguishing a fire, right? It's like throwing a wet blanket on a fire. So have you ever, have you ever been told that you're a wet blanket? I've, I've been told that a lot. <laughs> You know, you start to, like, the, the, the thing, the party is just getting started, and, and everybody's getting excited, and everybody's getting happy, and then, like, Mr. Wet Blanket walks in the room <laughs> and sucks all the joy right out of the room, right? Because he just puts out the fire right in there. That's, that's sometimes what, it, what we do. We're in church, and we're singing, and I've got a river of life flowing out of me, and I'm getting excited, and then, and then like, I look over, and somebody's just staring at me like, mm. <laughs> Wet Blanket. We quench the Holy Spirit like being a wet blanket. We extinguish Him. Sometimes we quench the Holy Spirit by by treating Him with contempt. See what Paul says in verse 20? Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Sometimes we quench the Holy Spirit because we are too skeptical. When we hear about somebody who has a word from the Lord or somebody who has a dream from the Lord or somebody who has spoken in tongues or somebody who has been healed in a miraculous healing and and we say, oh, that's probably not real. That probably doesn't happen today. You know, that's not really what the Holy Spirit does. I'm not really open to the Holy Spirit working in that way in my life or in my church. You know, that's not really how it flows around here. We, we treat the Spirit when He speaks and when He works with contempt by being too skeptical, by, by not being open to His working in our lives and in our church. Sometimes we quench the Spirit by ignoring the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever felt a prompting of the Holy Spirit that you didn't? obey? You know, like maybe I should go pray for that person. Maybe I should write that person an encouraging card. Maybe I should call that person and see how they're doing. Oh, you know, I don't know if that's God speaking or if that's just my own thoughts. You know, I'm so, I'm busy. I'm I'm this, that, and the other. I don't want to look foolish. I'll just kind of ignore that. I'll quench the Spirit's prompting in my life. And sometimes we quench the Spirit just by being distracted, by being so busy with the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth and power and work and status and popularity, and, 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 and quite honestly, sometimes our hearts are just not really longing for the things of God. We just want other things. And, and we're so distracted with the busyness of life that we don't really have time to listen to the Holy Spirit. And we quench 
the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if you quench the Holy Spirit, you can't expect to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So some Christians are not filled with the Spirit because we grieve Him and we quench Him. The third question, the last question this morning is, how can we be filled with the Spirit? If Paul tells us to be filled, to keep on being filled with the Spirit, how do we do that? How can we do that? Well, the, the thing I want to point out about the New Testament is it's pretty ambiguous when it comes to giving us instructions about how to walk in the Spirit or how to keep in step with the Spirit or how to be filled with the Spirit. The, the, the New Testament doesn't really give us a checklist because I think God knows how checklist-wired we are. If he said, oh, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, do these three things, and, and we would like add six sub-points and, and six sub-sub-points and whatever, and then we'd like go through and check off our list and check off our list and check off our list, and, and I would have it on an app on my phone. Oh, got that. Check, done, right? And, and that's just how we would we'd be so focused on the checklist, we wouldn't be listening to the Spirit of God. So the, the Spirit did not inspire a lot of super specific steps in order to be filled with the Spirit. But he does give us some principles. And I think the first principle of how we can be filled with the Spirit is to give more of your life over to the Spirit. To give more of yourself to yield more of who you are to the influence of the Spirit. That's how we can be filled with the Spirit. Paul said, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled by the Spirit. How does somebody get drunk with wine? This is not a trick question. How does somebody get drunk with wine? <laughs> by drinking lots of it, right? And in Paul's day, the wine was so watered down, if you were going to get drunk with wine, you had to drink a lot of wine. Right, the, the $2 wine at Aldi. You had to buy like a whole case of that stuff and take it home and drink it. So somebody gets drunk with wine by drinking a lot of wine. How does somebody be filled with the Spirit and come under the influence of the Spirit? By drinking a lot of the Spirit. By, by giving ourselves over to God. Allowing the Word of God to fill more of our thoughts. Allowing the worship of God to be expressed freely in our hearts. It means pursuing the things of God with your life, focusing your life on God. What is the focus of your life? What do you think most about? How do you spend your money? What are your goals in life? What are your ambitions? Is the highest purpose of your life to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, or is it something else? Is it to climb the corporate ladder? Is the highest purpose of your life for your kids to grow up and be happy adults? Is the highest purpose of your life to pursue God or is it something else? Let's not be distracted by the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth and other things in the world around us. Because being filled with the Holy Spirit, remember, is not about how much of the Spirit you have, but how much of you the Spirit has. So the, the first way that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit is to give more of your life over to the Spirit, so that you live more under the influence of the Spirit of God. The second way that we can be filled with the Spirit is don't grieve 
the Spirit. If grieving the Spirit keeps the filling of the Spirit away from us, then the way to be filled is by not grieving the Spirit. If you look just back a few verses in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 30, Paul says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I was uh, talking with Sue Baker a couple of weeks ago, and she shared this illustration with me, and it's so good. I wanted to share it with you. She said, have you ever noticed that you go to somebody's house, and their living room is like super clean, and their dining room is spotlessly clean, and maybe their kitchen is clean, but if you would sneak away to their bedrooms or to their basement, they're a mess, right? Have you ever noticed that? Well, that's because we clean up the rooms in our house that other people see. Nobody's poking around in our bedrooms, at least I hope they're not, and so we don't care about cleaning out our bedrooms. Sometimes that's how Christians live our lives with God. We clean up the parts of our lives that everybody else can see. We want those parts of our lives to be nice and clean and shiny and spotless and, and look really good, but the parts of our lives that nobody else sees We don't really care about cleaning those out. We will harbor bitterness. We will harbor unforgiveness. We will harbor lust. We will harbor sin. We won't do anything with those parts of our lives because nobody sees those parts of our lives. And then we wonder why the Holy Spirit is not filling all of our life. Well, he's filling the parts of our lives that are clean. And if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to clean out all of the rooms in your life, even the rooms that nobody else can see. You need to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to push the sin out of you as he fills you. Now, we're never going to reach perfection until Christ returns. So we're not striving to be perfect before the Holy Spirit fills us. But we don't have to have a rebellious heart and grieve the Spirit. When we sin... And we will, when we sin, we should be thankful for the grace that Christ has given to us. We should confess that sin to the Lord. We should repent of it and get rid of it, as Paul said, so that we make room for the Holy Spirit to fill us. We can be filled with the Spirit by not grieving Him. The third thing, how do we be filled with the Spirit? It's this, don't quench the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit, throwing a wet blanket on, that limits us from how we can be filled with the Spirit. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, don't quench the Spirit. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. We just looked at that. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Listen, we need to stop trying to live life in our own power. We need to stop trying to make it on our own without being dependent on the Holy Spirit. God has put His Spirit in you for a reason, because we need Him. We cannot have a fruitful Christian life without the filling of the Holy Spirit. We have access to God Himself at work 
in us through his Holy Spirit. We all have all of the power, all of the love, all of the strength, all of the joy, all of the peace, all that we need, we have in Christ and in the Spirit of God that lives in us. So let's stop trying to do it on our own and stop making excuses about our poor attitudes or whatever because we have the Spirit of God and it's time to stop quenching the Spirit of God in our lives. It's time to be open to the Spirit of God at work in us and it's time that we declare our dependence on the Holy Spirit to give us a fruitful life. We need to stop quenching his work in our lives. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with one of our elders, Mike Mall, that you've seen this morning. And he was sharing with me what he does so that he doesn't quench the Holy Spirit in his life. This is so good. He said he reads the Bible every day. And when he reads the Bible, he writes down one thing that he thinks God might be asking him to do from that scripture. And then he goes and does it. So he reads the Bible. What is one thing I think God might be asking me to do? He writes it down, and then he goes and does it. And and he doesn't get so caught up in, now, is this God speaking to me, or is this leftover Yeti's pizza? I don't know. You know, too often we make that excuse. We're like, "I, I don't know if this is really God speaking to me, so maybe I just won't do it. Maybe we use that as an excuse not to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. And the point is this, if you think that God might be calling you to do it, write it down and go do it. If you quench the Holy Spirit every time he speaks, you will never learn to recognize his voice. But if you have a heart of obedience, I think God might be telling me to do this based on what I'm reading in the Bible, I'm going to go do it. If it's not God, you'll figure that out. But if it is God, he will confirm it to you. And over time, you will learn to recognize when it's the voice of God and when it's leftover Yeti's pizza. And as you're doing this, as you are sitting down with the Lord to listen to him, remember these things. God will never ask you to do something that goes against the Bible. Never. He will never ask you to do something that goes against his word. Also, when you first begin listening to God, he is going to uh, speak to you in small things, and he's going to confirm those over time as you obey. He's not going to drop something major in your life the first time you sit down to listen to you. You say, okay, God, I'm sitting down, I'm listening to you the first time ever, and he says, go to North Korea and be a full-time missionary. That's probably not going to happen the very first time you listen to God, right? He's going to start small. He's going to to speak to you in small ways, and as you are obedient and as you learn to recognize his voice, he will gradually speak bigger and larger things to you. And if you ever have a question about something you think God might be saying to you, ask an elder, ask a pastor, ask a spiritually mature Christian friend, because God will speak through them, and he will confirm what he's saying to you. We're commanded to be filled with, with the Holy Spirit of God. Many times that does not come along with miraculous signs and wonders, but sometimes it does. And when you live a life that is filled with the Spirit of God, don't be surprised if God begins to work the supernatural in your life, right? 
You might be praying and find yourself praying in a language that you don't know. You might go to the hospital or go to a friend's house to visit them when they're sick and you might pray for them and you might feel the Holy Spirit's power in you and that person could be healed and you could find out about that later. And that is God at work in you because you are living a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is moving and working and we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit.